Here's Brantley. The kick in, here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. Remember where you are. So you remember where you are right now at 11.50 Eastern Time. Remember where you are on October 30th, 2019, when the Washington Nationals finished the fight from the depths of a forgettable 19-31 start. They have climbed to the top of baseball's highest peak, giving us all a finish to a season we will remember for the rest of our lives. Live from Welcome to the show. Welcome to Mint Talks. Thank you. How's life in Guahan? Guahan is good. It's happy hour, actually. Uh, I know it's a little bit earlier for you. Two hours behind, right? Yeah, just drinking a nice San Miguel Pale Pilsen here. Yeah, I was going to say, what are you drinking? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't even, I don't even think they sell Bud Light here. I don't even think it exists. And thank God for that. <laughs> well, I think they have something called Kuya Light there. Yeah, <laughs> Red Horse. Red Horse. So I'm drinking uh, my birthday uh, gift here. That's the nice. uh, single malt Japanese whiskey. How do you like it? It's, um, it's a 2019 edition. It's, it's nice. It reminds me of a Valentine's or something. Yeah. So. You know, I'm, I'm consistently shocked by the prices of Japanese whiskeys right now. It's just, it's just going crazy. Well, the, the whole global market is just off their head. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're paying 50 or 60 bucks for a bottle of Cheetah that we used to get, you know, for 2,000 yen at the, at the local market, you know, I mean, I just don't get it. And now Hibiki basically disappeared. Um, I've, I've heard it reappeared in Narita that it's back in the airport shop. Well, you think... And you can pick up a bottle of 21 for about... Five hundred and fifty dollars. Right now, they're selling on the gray market here for eleven hundred U.S. Oh wow! Wow, eleven hundred. Yeah, I think it's snapped up. They they post them up, they're gone. Like, immediately within seconds. Good Lord, you think it's just a like? You think people actually know it's good, or do you think it's just a bunch of rich guys going? Well, I think I'm going to get that. Well, I think with Hibiki. You know, Hibiki's a tried and true, proven, successful Japanese whiskey. I mean, the Hibiki 21 and the Hibiki 17. 
And what happened was Nika basically ran out of age statements. So there are no more age statements on any of the Japanese whiskeys that you're seeing being released now. So they're releasing one that they call Kibiki Master Select, which is just a blend, no age statement. And they're still charging $125, $130 for the blend. So right now, the, the two Hibiki age statements, the 17 and 21, which are selling in Narita Airport now for somewhere between, the 17 is about 400 and change, and the 21 is 550, which is, which is an expensive whiskey. But right now, if you are getting them into the Philippines or into Thailand, Hong Kong, any other secondary market, on the gray market, they're selling between 800 and $1,200 a bottle. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. And so if you can pick up a bottle, you can double your money. And you're not doubling a little bit of money, right? You're, you're doubling $550 like that. Boom. And once you place them online, they're, they're normally snapped up within seconds. Because everybody realizes there's a limited supply available, right? There's only so much left. Right. Once these eights, they're all released, they're gone. Well, you know, those guys did a, a masterful job. Like, I forget how many years it goes back now. Maybe 20 five years where you know santori got a bunch of the uh you know experts from i think it was the uh shivas and all these other guys they just you know back in the days just said you know we want to make the world's best whiskey and then they went over to the motherland and started you know bringing these guys back in and paying them a lot of money and saying you know we'll pay you a triple what what you earn at that company concoct us a solids here and um and they haven't been looking back ever since right i think i think also the japanese attention to detail um not only in the product but in the packaging with hibiki i mean you know some of those bottles themselves sell for a few hundred bucks online empty because they're just works art you know they've got paintings of mount fuji and gold leaf and they're just beautiful but um you know yeah it's just crazy it's absolutely crazy. So, you know, like our friends, like uh, Frank Moniz, old Top Shelf Moniz from Saipan, you know, Top Shelf always had a bottle of Hibiki 21 in his liquor cabinet, which I was always happy to uh, lighten it up a little, if you know what I mean. And those are the ones <laughs> that they never, um, you know, they don't overpour those. They're, they're so exact with the pour. Whoop, whoop. Exactly, exactly. There's a couple really cool bars here. Um, there's one bar here called Lit, which is a Japanese bar that's in BGC. And I'd say they've got about 100 different varieties of Japanese whiskey. You know, but it's, it's, a, it's a corporate bar. You know, you're not going to go in and, and buy, buy shots for yourself. You, know? you can leave there with a $2,000 bill, right? It's more of a business, business bar. Uh, I've, I've been to a couple of the speakeasies, and I don't know if they're still around. I mean, you know, because, because COVID. Well... None of them are open. I mean, you know, funny that this would be the time you would expect speakeasies would be around, right? Because uh, Manila was on, on prohibition, basically. So they locked the city down. They put, so let's say around March 15th, I got noticed that we were going to be locked down with what, you know, the Filipinos love acronyms, right? So they, they had a... Uh, we're going to lock you down with what they called MECQ, which was Modified Enhanced Community Quarantine. Right? So, and, <laughs> so, which basically meant you were locked into your home. You weren't allowed to travel 
um, from 8 p.m. till 5 a.m. at all. I mean, with, with the threat of you will be shot. Um, oh, shit. And then, yeah, and during the day, you had to carry a letter from your barangay chief that said you had the authority to exit your home to shop for groceries. Um, an example is my local bank was open once every three weeks. Um, you know, so you would have to go do your banking, you know, what you couldn't do online, and then, you know, get back into your home. So you weren't expected to really travel around. It was amazing. I would, I would smoke cigars on the roof of my building and look at Etza with four or five cars on either side of it. You know, and, and you've been stuck bumper to bumper on Edsa, right? I mean, for hours, days, it seems. But um, they, they really, really, it was amazing. It was just a different time. The sky cleared up. You, I could see from the rooftop in Manaluyong, let's say where the fort is, all the way across the city, past Malate, I could see into the bay and to the island on the other side of the bay, of Manila Bay. So you could literally see Cavite. It was amazing. There was no smog. There was no shit, right? There was no smog. And so that just shows you how much of it was made by cars right. and trucks and, and just traffic. So, uh, you know, no, no unnecessary workers. Maybe some of the factories were shut down, but, you know, it was amazing. It was gorgeous. The city just looked like a different city. And there's always that one asshole that didn't get the memo walking around. <laughs> Like, there's no joke here. I mean, these were the checkpoints were armed. They were they were carrying automatic weapons, sidearms. Um, if you drove up to one, you ha you had to have a, a QR code. It wasn't one of those uh, guards by the restaurant doors with the shotgun that has no bullets in it. No, 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 no. These were. These were real, real uh, Filipino military soldiers. And there were, there were military armed checkpoints and these guys would stop you and you had to have a QR code that showed that you were a necessary worker. And they would scan your QR code, make sure it conformed with the system, and then they'd allow you through the point. Can you imagine if, if your QR code, for whatever reason, got fucked up, <gasps> they, you, know, you happen to just be on the expired list and they're like, hey man, we don't find you on this list, motherfucker. <laughs> you would be like, no. Right. Well, no. It, it was um, violators, for example, uh, not wearing a mask. You could take, you could accept one of two options in many of the barangays. Corporal punishment or imprisonment. So they would actually make these guys like hang on a telephone pole. Uh, and support their weight on a telephone pole till they were shaking and they would fall off, embarrass them publicly in front of their, their, their own citizens, or they'd throw you in jail and you had the option. And almost, I would say 95% of them took corporal punishment of some form. Jumping jacks, calisthenics, um, you know, standing on one foot in the basketball court, uh, you know, as a punishment for not wearing a mask. And surprisingly, we still didn't get the, the virus under control. It was just exploding all over the place constantly. Uh, you know, yesterday we had 3,850 cases, new ones. How many in the city of Manila now? About 12 million is an estimate. I don't think anybody really knows, but I think 12 million is fairly accurate. Well, you know, uh, what's, 
what's been, you know, we don't have the homeless situation as, as the Philippines does, but we have, you know, enough, right? We have enough. But curiously, these guys are not getting sick. And I had a uh, Dr. Akimoto on a previous podcast show, and, and he, he said as much. He's like, you know, what's weird is that this virus has a sense of humor. It's getting the rich guys. It's getting, you know, the, the white collar guys. But they're leaving the poor people alone for some reason and the, the, the virus and it's leaving kids alone. And uh, this virus seems to have a sense of humor. It's, it's, um, you know, it's humbling the, uh, the rich and powerful. And uh, I don't, I don't know if you're over there in, in yeah. the Philippines. Tell us a little bit about other than the numbers, what are the stories you're hearing out there with the local news regarding the types of people that are getting it? Movie stars, celebrities, politicians, or everyday Joe's. Right. Well, you saw you saw today that The Rock got it, right? Yeah. Right. He, him, and his family, right? Or I think he he had it. Right. Him and his family. Are, yeah. Right. I mean, we've seen. Um, it ripped through. Uh, the first tier. Sometime in the first two months, we saw a lot of older stars, aging stars, get it, and and uh, quite a few of them die. Right. Um. I was unfamiliar with their names just because I'm not familiar with that, that dynamic, but there was a lot of that going on. Um, popular actresses and actors getting it um, typically from not following the rules. Uh, you know, they'd gather and have some kind of birthday party for one of the celebs and then they'd all get right. it. Um, it seems to me that Filipinos in general are, are fairly, resistant and resilient to the disease. They don't often die. Um, they, they, they get sick. I had a friend uh, whose boss came in from Spain and gave him COVID as a going away gift. And he got it. He lost his sense of taste and smell, but really was, other than that, pretty much unaffected. He, he said he felt lethargic, um, but you know didn't have it. My sister had it. She said it was a four-week bout for her, and she said there were times when she really didn't have the energy to get off the couch to literally walk 10 steps to the bathroom. Then my nephew had it, and he was fine. It was like nothing to him. It was, he was asymptomatic, and I was completely fine. So I think it's, you know, if it has a sense of humor, it's definitely a dark sense of humor. I mean, it's not... I kind of joke that this is like a millennial disease because once you get it, you know, you don't want to do anything. You're lazy. It's true. I mean, you, when we were talking to, to do the show prep a couple of days ago, it was funny because you, you had the line. You said, hey, I've, uh, you went to a party, you said, and they checked your temperature and mm -hmm. everything. And then you, you, you told a joke and everybody thought you were serious, you know, about uh, you watched yeah. every, everything on Pornhub already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've watched the entire Pornhub catalog. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm, down, I'm down to zero, zero unwatched episodes, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, Pornhub contacted like you said, Mr. Williams, you have watched every single episode, you know. <laughs> but but we're not sure you've watched them through early. It's every episode you've you've stopped at about fifteen second mark. <laughs> you know, in and out. Make let's make it easy. But, you know, like I told you, too, we are doing um, uh, the small groups of friends that meet. I have six, seven persons that I commonly associate with outside of my home. Let's say once a month or once every three weeks. 
we meet and have a dinner, perhaps a, a couple bottles of wine and just chat, which is, you know, to keep yourself sane. But we rapid test uh, before we remove our masks. So everybody comes in, there's a nurse, she draws your blood and she checks your rapid test. It takes about 15 minutes to get your results. Uh, and then they're like, okay, you're good. And we all take off our masks. So that's how serious it is. Where are you guys getting your uh, test kits from? Is it from South Korea or? Uh, a friend of mine imports them from Europe. They're the sole distributor of that particular test from Europe. Um, you can, it's, it's tough to buy them because the agent that uh, is the, the reactive agent applies for 50 test kits, right? So they're about $10 each. So to, for me, it would make no sense for me to buy 50. Um, but some of my friends that have large families and, and to have, you know, people coming over, they're, they're hiring new staff. Let's say they get a new, uh, uh, they get a new helper, they get a new driver, they get a new person that, that's going to be coming in and out of the office. They want to test them and they test them regularly. I mean, I would say I've been tested uh, 12 to 15 times. Now, have you, have you felt like you've gone under the weather this last, uh, since March or so, whatever it started for you guys over there? You ever like, uh, uh-oh. I did have it. A, and let have yeah. Well, dude, you know, it's nowadays you sneeze and, oh, I've got COVID. <laughs> you know, it's, just, you know <laughs> it's like the smallest thing. But, um, right, well, we had that same group of friends and I just, the guys uh, had a night where we were drinking some uh, Colonel, the Colonel E.H. Taylor, which is a bullet bourbon, uh, single batch bourbon, wonderful stuff. So we had bought a case of it and we split it up amongst ourselves. And so we opened up a bottle and had a bottle that night and we ordered up a Shakey's pizza. So the next day I was sick, my gut was bothering me. And I thought, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got COVID, you know? So I called my sister. And I'm like, hey, you had COVID? Do I have COVID? <laughs> These are my symptoms. She goes, it sounds like you have food poisoning. Right? So I, I round back around. <laughs> I round back around. And I've got it turns out all the other guys were sick. Yeah. And they all thought they oh, had COVID, yeah. right? So we didn't want to tell each other. You know? We're like, oh, gosh, now I got to call and tell them I got COVID. You know? And it was just food poisoning. We all had, had a bad pizza. Fucking shakies, man. Surprise! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you know how it is here. It, it, it's hard enough to keep things clean, right? But imagine now with the, you know, the, the, the transportation services, the, the storage, the management of people, keeping things running here is extremely difficult. So we're yeah. not only face masks, face shields, I'm sorry. It's mandatory face shields as well, the plastic ones. But do you have a face shield? Do you carry one around? Yeah, I have to because it's a fine. It's a, it's a it? violation of public law. Not to, if I'm walking down the street, let's say of Makati, and say I'm walking through Greenbelt, I must have a face shield on. It's required. And what's the cost of the fine? Uh, I think it starts at three thousand pesos for the first offense, which is about sixty dollars. But you got to remember, some people here make eight thousand pesos a month, so that's a third of their monthly income, right? Then the second offense is five thousand. The third offense is jail. Oh, no shit, huh? Yeah. That's, Man. And that includes, imagine this, you and I are in the car. We've known each other. We, we, live, yep. we live together, right? Um, you know, perfect thing is a young couple. They're driving down the streets of Edsa. They both have to be wearing their face shields inside the car. In the car. 
where they're not bothering in, in the car. If they if they get caught without them, they get they get fined. Man, see, and I I don't think that's a that's that's not alone, man. There's some there is some strange policy decisions being made by government, and not just Philippines, Guam, everywhere. Like some of this stuff is like, did you have the same people in the room when you made these decisions, or were they made like? unilaterally by five different people and then they decided to just put it on one the you know one big list because that didn't make any sense it doesn't you know it's it's the the thing uh, Nietzsche said it right absolute power corrupts absolutely and when you have a pandemic and you give somebody the authority to basically make any decision they want at any time and it's force fed to you uh, you're going to get um, some reluctance you know there are there are some uh, factors of society here that think the face shields are just absolutely nuts. Why is no other country in the world doing it, but we're doing it? Then my question was, who owns the face shield company here? You know, what oligarch is, is force feeding us to wear those because he's going to make a few million dollars off it? Right. And then, you know, it's one thing for you guys to have to wear it and mandate it and, and the policy is actually working. But as you help, it's it's a mess out there. And so... Some of these policies, you know, I mean, I wish that that's that's where I wish the, uh, you know, policy junkies would get together and say, okay, we didn't know what we were doing when it first happened because nobody really knew what was happening. You know, we were just kind of guessing. But now that we've got about, you know, three months under our belt, you know, we see that this has had no effect. We've seen that this was effective. We saw that this crushed, you know, our economy. Uh, This, everybody ignored this and, you know, nothing happened you would think that they would just try to regroup and try to create best practices like any private company would do. But yet they just waste, waste time, waste energy on policies that do not work. And they don't try to explore things that might work because if they do that, their original policy looks bad. Nobody wants, at least in government, wants to admit that they made a mistake. Which is unfortunate because we all make mistakes, and you know right. that's the I, whole. I think po- that's the whole you know we touched mistakes. on it with restaurants, right? So yesterday we had a meeting, and after the meeting we decided we were going to eat at a restaurant. This was a big deal, right? So we looked for one that had some outdoor seating, and, and out back at Alabang Town Center, yeah, has okay. a nice little outdoor area. Mm-hmm. So half the seats had tape over them, and the other half the seats were open. So it was fifty percent occupancy. We went in, um, we ordered uh, two San Miguel's and a couple of burgers. And the, the server told us, well, sir, you realize we can only serve you two beers uh, today because that's our that's the COVID regulation. Now, now, what does drinking two beers have with drinking versus drinking four? So we basically <laughs> paid our tab, walked into the restaurant, walked back out, sat back down, <laughs> opened up another tab and had two more beers, right? But I mean, Whose decision was that? That drinking two beers is going to make you less likely to get COVID than drinking four? Makes no sense. Makes no sense to me at all. Exactly. This, like, some of these are just so, like, you just got to scratch your head and go, what the fuck were they thinking? What, what drugs? I mean, are how they, are the restaurants? What drugs were they on? Um, I mean, one, they've lost the trip. Yeah, you so. know, I think, you know, we're, we're, I mean, we've had months, we've had probably a month where you could have dine in and that was starting to pick back up again under PCOR 3, I want to say. And then we had a little bit of the uptick in the, you know, positive uh, cases. And, mm-hmm. um, and then we went back to PCOR 1, 
and now we're back to takeout delivery. And of course, you know, not all lawmakers, but most of the lawmakers here, I'm almost guessing they, they've never owned a restaurant, right? And I'm talking about the legislative, yeah. the people that sort of institute these things from everywhere from not just the policy writers like legislative and, and policy um, uh, you know, leadership like the governor, but I'm talking down to the you know, Department of Health uh, director or whoever helps, you know, the, the bureaucracy that creates the laws and help create the policies. They don't, they, don't know, they don't know what it is like to run a restaurant, and yet they're going to be the ones to tell the restaurants how to be safer. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Right. And I think there was, I don't know which senator it was, but they basically said, well, what's the problem? You guys are, you know, having takeout business. You know, you should be okay. As if that replaces the dine-in experience and the money that can be generated from a dine-in experience. Like you, perfectly what you said. You had a burger. You had one burger. You don't have ten burgers, right? You can only eat one burger. Right. But you can have four beers, you know, or a whiskey. Yeah. Right. And if you somebody doubled, you doubled your tab, right? Yeah. Or yeah. If, some, if you see somebody, uh, uh, you know, in a restaurant um, across the room, and you know that guy or girl, and they're good friends, you might buy them a drink. And they might buy you a right. drink, you know, and that is what dine-in is. The other thing is these restaurants, when they opened their, um, when they did their business plan, they based it on number of seats. So they've bought tables mm -hmm. and chairs, right? They did, you know, as far right. as if they weren't a takeout-oriented uh, restaurant, then they've invested in silverware, uh, you know, plates, things that can be reused to keep their costs down. Right. Now they have to get a bunch of plastic materials, containers, uh, Some in some cases because – and then they still have to worry that the food tastes good. And so in some cases they have to sort of deconstruct the entree and then, uh, so that the customer can reconstruct it at home. And now you're looking at three or four right. you know, plastic containers. And this wasn't part – and they haven't raised their price. And so th this wasn't part of their business plan. And so for some of these lawmakers to simply kind of gloss over the problems and say, well, you know, they're doing well with takeout. Uh, yeah, that's just, that's just, I think, either ignorance or arrogance. Either one is okay. But when you mix both together, terrible things happen. Well, you look at, I mean, we're seeing closures of, you know, restaurants that are, are icons. Um, you know, yeah. uh, for, as, as an example, the, the Peninsula Hotel in Manila is, is, is uh, boarded up. I mean, that's an wow. iconic hotel. There's only 11 Peninsula hotels in the world. Right. You know, it's, it's a, an iconic place. It, it happens to have a cigar bar, which makes it even a better place. <laughs> there and another place in Mandarin called Kipling's. Those are the two places I used to hang. Yeah. Well, you know, Kipling's was, um, you know, Makati used to be a swamp. Right, that's why they had the airport in the middle of Makati. So where uh, you know Blackbird Restaurant, they're in downtown Makati, right across from the peninsula. Yeah. Blackbird Restaurant is actually in the flight control tower building <laughs> of the old Manila Airport. The light tower. Exactly, it's a super cool place. A uh, lot of outdoor seating, fantastic food. I mean, really, just a bang up place. So what happened was 
the Ayalas got smart to this and they thought, this is a central place. So they started buying up all this swamp land. So the old Mandarin Hotel, which had Kipling's in the bottom of it, was owned by, the land was owned by the Ayala group. So when the lease expired, the Ayala family just tore down the Mandarin and now they're putting up condos. You wanna know what the entry level price is on a one bedroom condo with a parking spot at that location? Mm, it's a pretty good location. Um, what are you looking at? 800,000? One bedroom. One million US dollars. Holy shit, that was close enough. So that's for one bedroom. The three bedroom units on the top are about 2.6. Wow. Who, I mean, who's, who are they yeah. for that? It can't be locals. Oh, yes, it can. <laughs> uh, yes, it can. And often it is. Yeah, I mean, I know they have the money. I mean, the, 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 you know, because we all know that the Philippines is the, the haves or the have-nots. And I know there's a lot of haves. Right. But, but you know, like Rockwell, for example, that's, that's always sort mm -hmm. of that the Philams, you know, and the expats right. live in a community. Right. And I mean, even I bought one point in my life there. Um, and, uh, you know, my, coincidentally, my girlfriend used to work there. So, you know, it was kind of like, okay, I'll buy one. <laughs> so you, are you getting right, yeah. commission from my sales? Um, but um, yeah, but where the Oriental was, uh, the Mandarin, um, I mean, that's not much. I mean, it's not a community hangout, you know, it's, it's, no. it's central, but it's not what I would consider like a community type deal. And they're asking for 2 million, huh? I guess it's because it's downtown. I mean, that's probably what well, it is. 2.6, 2.6. I mean, they, you know, it's, it's just gone crazy. Real estate here was on a meteoric rise. What happened was they opened up um, the ability to have online casinos here so the chinese came over and they they would set up shop they would basically rent the you know much like the uh call centers they'd rent a floor of an office building and then they'd set up you know two three hundred virtual tables with two three hundred virtual dealers and run millions of dollars through these online casinos more likely than not to, to launder some of the money <clears throat> you know ill-gotten gains and um <clears throat> recently due to covid and the increased regulations and taxation on the on the casino industry they've been pulling out and i think that will sound the the death knell for the meteoric rise in real estate prices here we saw a lot of chinese investment a lot um they're investing real heavily into the philippines i mean big projects airports uh, dams um they're getting into public utilities <clears throat> which is surprising to me that they're allowing a foreign government to have a stake in in essential services power water it's it's, uh, it's yeah. a dangerous game it, it is it is surprising but not so surprising you know <laughs> yeah there's a lot of money yeah there well what they do is they they make the loan for the project and they secure the loan with either the asset that's going to be underneath it or with some other asset. Right. So what they do then is they hope that that government then defaults on that loan. And then they're able to seize that asset. It becomes Chinese property because this is all under the belt and road initiative, right? Out of China. 
Right. So they're taking these Belt and Road Initiative, which was basically to reestablish the Silk Route from China over to Russia. Now they've expanded it into Southeast Asia. So you notice that with all of the, the talk on our networks, on our news networks about the Spratleys and about, you know, the islands where the Chinese are basically coming in and taking over, the chatter here is that from Duterte is he says, look, let's be realistic. There's no way we are going to fight them and win a war. That's not happening. So really, what are we doing by barking about them seizing our, uh, you know, territorial islands? Right. It's doing no good for us. I'd rather get a, you know, a $40 billion loan from them to survive the COVID times and have industry moving forward and just forget that island because they're going to take it anyway. Right. That's, that's Duterte's angle on this. And so he's playing the U.S. off China and China off the U.S. and brokering whatever deal he can, get the most money he can for the country. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, so how are they circumventing? I guess the government says it's okay, so you can, but... They just turn, they turn a blind eye. You know, I mean, they just filed mis- they fired missiles three weeks ago. They actually conducted a, a live fire exercise with missiles inside the Spratleys, the Chinese ships. We've seen, you know, obviously the, the aircraft carriers that are coming back to Guam for R&R are coming from the Spratlys. They're up there running, running our, you know, as a presence to let the Chinese know we're not going to just you walk down the island chain um, and, and take them island by island. It's not going to happen. So it's, it's gotten a little bit squirrely, <laughs> you know, as the, the rise of China. Well, you, you've, been, you've been in Manila how long now? Two years? Three years? I want to say two years. Three. Going on three, right? Yeah, three. Okay. Yeah. And I know uh, there was a little, you know, relationships broke down between the U.S. and um, Philippine government. Uh, what, yes. Like a year ago or something like that. Um, how, how was that? I mean, you're a U.S. citizen. How was it like? It's tough, you know. Um, so what happened was they basically pulled out of several accords which were long-standing treaties between the U.S. and the Philippines, um, which afforded uh, the ability for our military to land here um, and, and, you know, deep board aircraft and air, air, aircraft, ships, whatever, whatever means we traveled through. And it's basically a, a, a sign of support that the U.S. was supporting the Filipino government. And one of Duterte's henchmen um, applied for a U.S. visa and he was declined the U.S. visa based on the, um, uh, what's it called, Rappler, the journalist that was uh, a former CNN journalist, what's her name? I'm struggling remembering her name right now. But she was uh, basically accused of uh, treason <laughs> and, um, and kind of unjustly confined and then prosecuted for uh, internet sabotage and all kinds of weird, strange laws they found on the books. So the U.S. declined him his visa, right. and in retaliation for that, Duterte pulled out of these military agreements. <laughs> yeah, that was the retaliation. And so I was, you know, talking with some of my friends who I would consider sympathetic ears, right? Mm-hmm. Highly educated, you know, went to the finest schools in Manila, maybe educated at Harvard or Yale in the U.S. Um, you know, millionaires in their own right. Um, I would speak to them about it. And they're like, yeah, so 
Yeah. I mean, what have you done for us lately? Let's be honest. Like, what, it, what have you really done? Right. You know, the Chinese dumping money in here hand over fist. Where are you guys? Yeah, and in fact, probably they're saying, what you guys are like acting like our mommies and daddies all the time. Exactly. Don't tell us what to do. We're, we're, we're our own nation. We're a sovereign nation. We make our own decisions based on what we think is the best for our people. Now, you know, yeah. we don't really care what you think. They're halfway across the world. Yeah. China's right next door. You know, I mean, so we're, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, right? It's a really tough dynamic, you, you know, and there's, if it wasn't for the NBA, they probably would have had all Americans kicked out of the country by now. I mean, basketball <laughs> saved us. Yeah. <laughs> they love their basketball in the Philippines for sure, right? Oh, man. Do they have you noticed that the, the world has gone to shit ever since Kobe Bryant died? I think you <laughs> I think he was the clue that kept the world together for some reason. I wish I, you know, if you if you ever are able to make it up, if we're ever able to travel again, yeah. Um, if you come up here, there's a a buddy of mine sent me a photo, a selfie of him standing on some bleachers, and it was a massive painting of Kobe on this basketball court in downtown Manila. Oh, I mean, yeah. when Kobe died, it it was like the Philippines went into mourning. I mean, the entire country went into mourning over, over Kobe's death. They're massive, they're massive basketball fans. They, you know, just love the sport. They love the game. So, well, in, you know. I think in particular, though, he, he had a good relationship with the Philippines. He would go there every year and do the camps. Yeah. And he was like oh, they, Michael Jordan out there. He was bigger than Michael Jordan. Yeah, they just, they love Kobe. They love Kobe here. I mean, you know, it, I... I, I'm a huge fan of a, of a blues band called the Blue Rascals. And they play every, they used to play every Tuesday night over at uh, Heckle and Jekyll. Okay. So I went down and after Kobe's passing, you know, the entire band was wearing Kobe jerseys. Oh, no shit, huh? Uh, that night. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just the whole town it was, it was all about Kobe. I mean, you know, I'm a Laker fan uh, for most of my adult life. and. Uh, even growing up because Guam only showed the Celtics or the Lakers once in a while, they will look pictures on, you know, CBS sports, but you know, because of those tape delays, they used to send those VHS mm -hmm. from Hawaii. Uh, yeah. They would, they would only really record the bird magic show. And then when Dr. J was still playing, they would have the Sixers, but once he retired, they're like, fuck the Sixers. And it was just always, Celtics, <laughs> you know, and Celtics uh, Laker games that would be on. And uh, so I grew up a Laker fan. Uh, because you have to pick a team. And and then when I moved to Los Angeles, well, of course, I became an even bigger Lakers fan because you're living right in the city and you get to actually see the games instead of just watching them on TV and you get, you, you get to know the roster and all that stuff. And, um, and then, you know, Kobe came in, the league and so forth. And you watch this, basically, this 16, 17-year-old kid grow up in front of you, you know, and I'm sure he's... Mm -hmm made some stupid bonehead things and said some bad things and he did some stupid things. But, you know, like if I'm looking back at myself and to be honest, you know, I was doing a lot of bonehead things well beyond, well, well past 17, 16, you know, I was doing, I was doing them in my 20s. <laughs> Probably right no, now. We're talking last week, last Tuesday. Yeah. So <laughs> like, you know, to be on this constant spotlight uh, as a kid, you know, this is the stuff I keep telling uh, the Kobe haters before his death, obviously. 
But I tell you what, once he died, and there were, you know, and even non-fans, the haters, they started coming around, man. They, they saw him as a human being, and and I think what mostly got everybody choked up was the fact that his daughter died with him, going to oh yeah the tournament and this sort of father-daughter dynamic and how close they were. And she had she had his smile, you know. Yeah, she had that Kobe smile, right? I mean, yeah. she had her dad's smile. That's what. Sure. I mean, honestly, yeah. that that is what got me emotional uh, with that with his death. I could, you know, I'm not a celebrity, um, you know, fan. Um, you know, I don't get starstruck too much, uh, if at all. But when I thought of him and his daughter in the helicopter going down in those okay. few final scary seconds, man, I look at my young daughters and I'm like, man, that could have been. I mean, maybe not a helicopter. Could have been a commercial airline or you know, uh, yeah. and, or, you know, that, that's scary. I mean, and you, and you, as a parent, you're so helpless. You can't do anything. You might be Kobe Bryant. But yeah. There's nothing you can do, right? It's outside your control. I had, um, an interview with Ernie Lopez, uh, who's okay. a and he's not directly, he's not with the broadcast, you know, part of it anymore. He was with the publication side and he had just gotten married. So, and because of, because of my business at Hooters Philippines, a while back, you know, we got to know each other and become friends. And um, so I had a Zoom session like this planned with him, you know, and we were going to talk about his marriage mm -hmm. and second chances and all this stuff. And then he goes, man, I got to cancel because we're getting shut down tomorrow or whatever it was. And then and I didn't know what he meant by that. I thought, OK, is it COVID? And then and then I started seeing all the news come out and I was like, holy shit. It was absolutely it was absolutely ridiculous. I mean. Within a span of four to six weeks, Maria Reza, who I mentioned to you earlier from uh, Rappler, yeah. was arrested. Um, and she refused, you know, because she's a U.S. citizen. She refused to leave the country. Right. She, she hung in there. She's, a, she's an impressive person. I mean, she, she, I mean, this is not a person you want to mess with. Duterte is not somebody to take lightly, you know. He's very similar to Donald Trump. And I think we, we talked about uh, the the likenesses between Duterte and Trump. They never think that they're dumb. Don't take them to be idiots. They didn't they didn't become the president of their countries because they're complete knuckleheads. They'd love for you to assume that and and grossly underestimate them. But um, you know Duterte had it out for ABS CBN. He had it out for Rappler. Yeah, it was tired of them doing exposés and you know um, reporting on news. Albeit, I, I'm not going to say 100% of it was correct. I don't think any news station can say that. But let's say 80% was accurate, you know, and um, he didn't like it. So he just made it his personal uh, task to strip both of these news generating agencies and remove them from power, uh, in, imprison Maria Reza, um, and then re fail uh, not to allow the renewal of ABS-CBN because he controlled the Senate. So when the vote came in, it was mind boggling how they followed him. Right. Just like the way our Senate follows Trump, you know, blindingly down the path of what was told, for, what they were told to do. Nobody so, voted against it really, maybe two people. Yeah, the, the, tech, the, the way they got ABS-CBN was the technicality of the license, right? The, the, the right it, was, it was up for renewal. Right, and then they said we're not going to renew it. Basically, yeah, it's, 
Somebody else get renewal or what? Did someone else get their slot? No, doesn't work that way. No, no. but no, um, not really. No. Um, they've now somehow fallen into. I don't know how this happened, but maybe it's maybe it's a kind of all, I'm almost sorry kind of thing. But they've fallen into um, a task. I was reading it in the paper recently that they are going to help with um, educational broadcasting. They'll use their equipment and their their uh, technical knowledge to broadcast um, elementary education, middle school education, high school education platforms for the government to support some kind of uh, stay at home slash go to school uh, blending. And um, that's, that's the only thing they really have going for them right now. I mean, they must have lost billions in revenue of pesos, billions of pesos, so hundreds of millions of US dollars. Right, they had TF, TFC, they had all these other shows, right? They, they don't get to broadcast those anymore, right? No. Okay. It was the it was their news shows that were super popular here, though. They have a huge following. Yeah. Um, but in general, um, you know, as a non-citizen, no. I stay out of these matters. I don't, I don't openly support or attack any government organization here. I don't think it's my right. Um, I have my own opinions, sure. but um, I keep them to myself. <laughs> so it's a, yeah, I'm still a visitor here. That's what that's what you got to understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, just I'm, keep it I'm, to yourself. Couldn't they have um, aired their shows on YouTube or some other like digital format? They have. They do. They have. Um, they just. I think two days ago, I read an article that they were brokering brokering a deal with YouTube because they're, you know, they immediately when they switched to YouTube. They went from zero viewers, right? And they started their YouTube channel and then they had like 3 million viewers within a span of, you know, hours. Wow. So YouTube saw the opportunity, right? So they've, they're signing some kind of agreement with like a YouTube premium service right. uh, that's higher speed, dedic more dedicated bandwidth, um, probably servers inside the country, right? What, Much like what, Netflix would do, you know. Uh, um, call it YouTube TV or something like that. Exactly. And, and, you know, here, everybody, everybody's online and, and most people, their phone is their gateway to everything. Television, right. news, um, karaoke, you name it. They, they, they're a phone oriented culture. They, they live and die through their phones here. I mean, it is, it's, it's how they watch everything. So I don't think, I don't, most of my friends don't have cable, you know, they, that's old school. That's like, what, Abel? Like, they still have that? <laughs> you, do you remember how we met? I mean, this is a good segue to how we met because I don't know if you remember, but I remember clearly as if it were yesterday. And I remember um, uh, you were doing the publication for Baldiga, I think, and, and getting that whole tour thing going. And you guys were going to, mm -hmm. you know, you had big plans. And there was uh, some type of solicitation that came out for advertising. And I had known of you. I had met you briefly here and there, but we were never like friends. Like we weren't, we were associated with acquaintances uh, and we had friends who were close to us, but we were never really. Yeah. You know. <laughs> we had mutual friends. Uh, yeah, we would. I mean, 
we wouldn't be doing this back then. We wouldn't call each other and talk and spend an hour together, you know, uh, <laughs> a long way. But, but back then, you know, there was always this sort of, uh, oh, Troy is this and Troy is that. And I had the same reputation of being such a kind of a hard ass or an asshole. If, if, you know, if you guys didn't click then you're not a, you know, he's kind of arrogant because he's got businesses going on. And it would always sort of surprise me how much talk there was of, you know, me when I would hear it from people. And I remember running into you at this function at a hotel and we were at the buffet line, you know, and, and you were like right behind me and I was in front of you and I said, oh, hey, Troy. And again, just pleasantries gave you the plate. I said, let's, and then we kind of talked our, while we were getting our corn and, you know, prime rib or whatever the fuck was on the table. And we talked a little bit and uh, we had said, hey, you know, it's good talking to you. And, and you had friends you were there with. I had friends. I would, We had to go back to our own, you know, kind of click. But, you know, I walked away going, man, yeah, Troy's not so crazy. He's not obnoxious. You know, he, everything <laughs> I heard of isn't true. <laughs> and then I, I remember running into Kramer um, a couple of weeks later. He goes, hey, I heard you, you ran into Troy. Yeah, and he was telling me that you're such a nice guy and that all the things you he heard about you were untrue. <laughs> and I was like... The motherfucker to see that's that's the problem Pe people talk too much shit out there and uh, i think that's just become more you know accelerated more louder thanks to social media thanks to the internet fake news it's fake oh yeah you know what i mean you know and the social the social media experts they're experts in every goddamn field you know they're they're now they're all they're now all epidemiologists you know <laughs> I mean, they, they just, you know, whatever, whatever comes up, they, they suddenly become an expert in it. Um, it it's, it's pretty funny to me. With these world diseases, I mean, you, you think of bio, biotechnology, you know, warfare. I mean, we could be in the middle of one. You never know. You never know, right? I mean, I don't, I wouldn't put it, a communist country like, like China to, to do it, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past the United States, uh, with CIA and black ops to do it either. You know, like I just. Well, my mom, you know, my mom was, uh, my, my mom and I were talking. You know, I, I typically call my mom every Sunday. So my mom and I were chatting, and she goes, "Will you do me a favor?" And you know, we don't typically agree on a lot of things politically, or um, we tend to not discuss them. Right? <laughs> we just the best thing is to just that sleeping dogs lie. So she asked me though, will you please research for me and find out if it's true that the Chinese created Corona and introduced it to, you know, the world to, to basically screw with everybody else, but they had a vaccine already created and that's why they don't have any cases now. Said, well, they don't have any cases now because uh, people do what they're told in China. <laughs> you don't, you don't tell the Chinese government no. That's not, that's not an really? option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Put the mask on now. No, fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're done, right? So, but she wanted me to research that for her, and I couldn't find any conclusive evidence that they had, but I couldn't find any conclusive evidence that they hadn't either. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, you're, you're right in saying, who knows? You know, who knows if somebody was playing around with a, you know, a virus and, and mutated something accidentally. 
I think it's very possible. Yeah, and you know, like, I mean, I, you know, it's like the chocolate souffle. The first chocolate souffle was not intentional. It was a chef who cheated on ingredients, you know, basically <laughs> baking is an exact science and the chef decided he's gonna make some chocolate cake and then he discovered souffle because he undercooked it mm-hmm. and he cheated on some things and it, it ended up not being firm on the middle but it was delicious. And then he ex- started experimenting and put the goulash and all that stuff in the filling. And, and, and now we have the modern souffle. And I, I'm thinking COVID could have been similar. Like, oh, you know, we're, we, we're trying to understand a disease. We're trying to mutate a disease. We're trying to see what happens if we do this and that. And then it accidentally gets out, right? And at first, even, you know, let's just assume that it came out of Wuhan and, and it came out of China. At first, even they're like, oh, fuck, you know, oh, fuck, we, we fucking, yeah. oh, shit, you know, don't tell anybody. Let's try to clean it up before people find out. And, of course, that shit happened. And then all hell broke loose because it went fucking worldwide, you know. It was a gold hit. And they got, they were freaked out. And then, but then they saw what it did to the economies of the world. Yeah. And they said, huh. And then the evil people. This is kind of working into our advantage. No, you know. Then they have. Then they. Then those fuckers went and had the big pool party in Wuhan. Ha ha ha! Look at this, America. <laughs> We're having a pool party. <laughs> I, I, I almost want to think that it wasn't like someone evil thought of it. It was more like the chocolate souffle. It was like, oh, okay, all right. I, whoa, think about this. <laughs> We're thinking missiles, you know, sanctions. Why don't we think of this? And and you know, we're like, we've we've got ten years ahead of everybody on on this study because we were the one, you know, fucking around with it. I don't know. Personally, I love all my Chinese friends, but the government, I don't like any government. You know, uh, I yeah. like I like every I like every race in the world. I get along with just about all of them. What about what about Abe bowing out? And, what do you think is going to happen there? Well, that's that's you know my mom is so sad because she's uh she's an Abe fan and uh, you know, Abe san Abe san. Well, there's a lot of Abe fans. Uh, and, a lot of them. You know, for him, I she's like, well, he's sick and he's gonna come back. I go, mom, the guy's sick. He's put in so many years. I said, let him retire. <laughs> you know, there's surely there's got to yeah. somebody else, right? Somebody has to be in the wings. And this is how I kind of felt with. Biden's nomination. I'm like, surely, surely, there's somebody in the Democratic Party that's not Biden that could be like. Well, I tell you what. I mean, I, I watched him speak the other night. Maybe it was like last night or the night before. I, I was really disappointed. I oh, when he did, you the, know, I expected a, a better presence. Yeah, you're not talking about the the Democratic uh, National Convention. You're talking about when you got on the microphone. No, this is post-convention. I mean, his convention speech was well rehearsed. And, um, you know, they have control over that. I'm sure there's a little time delay. I'm sure you're not getting that exactly on time, right? So, um, the, but it was just a free-flowing speech he had. And he talked about um, sprinkling angel dust. I was like, whoa, bro. You sprinkle angel dust, you're going to blow your head off, man. Angel dust. 
I don't know what the hell they were thinking when they nominated this guy. And, you know, and I, I keep telling my, my, I love my, my very left friends and I have a lot of them and, and they love me too. But in politics, we don't agree. And I keep telling them, I go, guys, take it from me. I took care of my dad for five years as he, as the men mm -hmm. took over his life. They don't forget how to read. You know, they can read. They can, and so if I, you know, yeah. Biden can still read a teleprompter and, and do it. They don't forget how to act. They don't, they don't forget these things. I said, but when you put them like, when you take them off script, they don't know what the fuck's going on, man. And you can just tell in their eyes, you can see the glassy eyes there. And I really feel for that guy. You know I mean? He doesn't, he doesn't have to go through. My suspicions are that they're going to, they might just swap him out last minute or right after, uh, if he's elected, right after the election and say, you know, Kamala's, Kamala's our, 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 our president, you know, uh, Biden's right. But I mean, they, they, they could have, they could have gotten so much better. And I don't know who that would have been because I, I surely didn't see it in the, uh, in the, you know, the, the well, I think, I think there were a lot of <laughs> personally, I think that there were a lot of better candidates, you know, um, I just don't know if, you know, they were trying to find the one that could beat Trump, right? Yeah. That's what they were focused on. You know, I tell my Trump friends who are, who are advocate Trump friends, I go, I said, you know, guys, you don't want Trump winning because he was the lesser of two evils, you know, and right. vice versa. Like you don't want, you don't want Biden winning because he was the lesser of two evils. Well, and that's what it's becoming. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I mean, it's becoming... Don't you want to? Who, who's the lesser of two evils rather than, you know, wow, this guy really stands out, you know? Yeah. Um, it's been, I mean, it's been so long, I think, since I was able to vote for the president. Gosh, I had moved to the Marianas in 88. Yeah, let's talk about that. Marianas. You, you first were in the Marianas before Guam or Guam Marianas? I mean, I, I'm talking about cycling. I was in Guam first. I moved, I moved to Guam in the summer of 1988. I had just graduated university, and I moved to Guam. And I worked there at PIC for about two, three months, I guess, four months. And then they were putting together a team to open Saipan. And so they, they put together a dozen of us and shipped us off to Saipan in, in 1988. So I really was more of a uh, a six seven zero guy, you know. It's still the same, you know. The in sports and everything, you know, the guys are all like, "Well, you may live in Guam, but we all know that you're six seven zero. Really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so. How about just one Mariana, guys? How about one Mariana? <laughs> well, think about you know, think about what kind of. Uh, baseball team we could have um think about you know the, the the sports teams we could have if we were one marianas you know if you could combine the basketball players the soccer players the baseball players into in and form one team it'd be pretty impressive i would think so i mean just just well you mean both both guam and saipan have done really well in little league imagine if they were you know marianas well, <laughs> it would be kind of cool all-star teams and if you get all the yeah. you know like 
if you get all the uh, potentials, uh, with whether it be politicians, athletes, girls, a lot of, a lot of good choices there. Yeah, there is. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's pretty impressive, actually. If you think about, you know, the, the size of the populations and some of the athletes that have came out of the islands, you know. I, I think I have to, and it's going to be hard for me, but I, I think I'm going to have to be reoriented, reacquainted with tequila because as a young as a young man, I had really bad experiences with tequila and just even the whiff of it makes me want to cringe. You know, it's, well, it's like, you know, I've got, I, they call me, my, nick, my nickname here in the Philippine cigar aficionados is TT, Tequila Troy. Tequila and, Troy. Um, I like tequila. Tequila I Troy. and so I, I bring bottles of tequila and people will say, oh, I can't drink tequila. So nobody wanted to do have a drink with me. So I'm sipping on a Jose Cuervo Familia Reserve of tequila, which in the U.S. is selling for around 200 a bottle. Here it's about 90. And I'm sipping on it. And one of the guys has one. And he goes, oh, I have another one. And then everybody kind of paid attention. Next thing you know, the bottle of uh, tequila gets hammered before the bottle of blue. No shit, huh? Okay. They turned away from the blue and drank the tequila, and it's it's now their kind of favorite thing. So for the Christmas party, when we're doing gift exchanges, you know, every everybody hopes they draw my name because they know they're getting a bottle of the Reserva, right? <laughs> so you know, they're like, but it's it's incredible stuff, and you know, there's mezcals that are smoky, like an Isle Scotch. There are mezcals that drink. I mean, it, it's the the varietal. Uh, that tequila presents is just mind-boggling and, and there's some fantastic fantastic stuff here in manila and i i would say our liquor pricing in all honesty is probably better than anywhere i've ever been in the world yeah with tequila the good stuff that i've had you don't even know you're drinking tequila i mean it's smooth oh it's it could it like the familia reserva drinks like a cognac no. I, I i forget the name of the tequila but they only made 500 of them in the world uh you know, for distribution. And in one, uh, mm -hmm. and this, this is why I loved the Hooters franchise family, because, you know, you think Hooters and you think beer, you know, oysters and, and hamburgers, the American hamburgers, but the franchise right. were fairly well off people in these international places, you know, Dominican Republic, Mexico, um, South Africa. These are the guys I've met in these conventions. And you know, you've got the U.S. franchisees, right? The, the Cowboys. And, you know, they, they yeah. go and drink their Bud Lights and stuff and have a good time, which is great. But I usually hang out with the international franchisees. And they're like, once we're done with the whole convention, they break, they break out their $1,000 tequila that they brought over. And they're like, cause you drink tequila? And, you know, this is the Mexico franchisee guys. And I'm like, yeah. I said, you know what? Honestly, I don't. But. I never refuse a drink that a friend offers. So, so I had it and, um, you know, it was in a beautiful wooden case and they opened it in this beautiful bottle, but unassuming. I mean, it's an, it's not like the bottle is, uh, you know, some bottles are really fancy with the way they're molded. Yeah. But this was just a very humble, uh, bottle, but it, but it looked really pretty. I guess it was just because it was coming out of a wooden box that was really nice, nicely done. 
Anyway, they poured it, and I was ready to cringe, and I was like, oh, man, tequila always gets me sick. I had one, and just like your friends with, with, uh, with your introduction with the tequila, man, I had another and another and another, and I didn't get sick. But um, for all your friends that call you TT, I need to, you know, when I, when I come and visit you and, and uh, we go out with your boys there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them know that we don't call, at least I don't call you TT. I call you Shakespeare because, you know. <laughs> that, Once upon a time in the world. Yeah, because that's your pickup line. You like, to, you like to break out your Shakespeare. And uh, <laughs> it was her name. <laughs> and then, especially when you're wearing these, uh, the the pearl pearl button, uh, you know, road cowboy shirt, cowboy shirt, man. I'm like, oh, that's Troy. He's, he's Shakespeare. I'm gonna call you Shakespeare. That's that's my nickname for you, Shakespeare. Hey, Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. man, Ferdinand and Isabella. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, on that note, my friend, we'll do this again. We'll do a part two, part three. You know what? You're one of those guys in my circle that, that I find uh, you have so many interesting life stories. And, you know, and don't take this the wrong way. And anytime someone says don't take this the wrong way, you, you can always almost automatically take it the wrong way. It's going to be taken. Yeah, but don't take this the wrong way. You are such an unassuming Renaissance guy. You know, you look at you, you wear, you, you, you look like, you know, you look like, a, you know, look at the shirt you're wearing today. You're wearing a lucky shirt with some chick with, you know, spread eagle. Oh, there, see, it says, yeah, spread eagle with yeah, It says spread eagle right there. I didn't even have to, you know, but, <laughs> but you've, you've got such a rich mind and uh, I really enjoy our conversations anytime we get together and, it's uh, it's a shame that we don't get together more often than, than we have. But uh, since the first time I got to know you in the buffet line here in Guam, and I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, that's Troy Williams. He's a nice guy. He's a, I actually, you know, yeah, you know, he's he's not a, except for the times he's hitting on my chest. He's not an asshole. Not yeah, he's not an asshole. <laughs> But uh, you know, even when you're hitting on my chick, uh, you know, and you're not, you don't even know you're hitting on her. At least you're doing it with class Shakespeare, right? <laughs> I didn't know it was your chick. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I, 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 I have no problem. In fact, it's okay. You know, I have always told my friends, I go, don't get jealous when people are hitting on your girls. Be complimented. It means they're worth something. You know, they're attractive. <laughs> so that means you, you done well. But uh, anyway, my friend, salute. And uh, All right, I bro. want you to be careful out there. Stay healthy. And yeah, we'll do. Better. And you know, in, in times like this, uh, we reach out to the people that uh, we care about. And I'm glad I reached out to you and, and you agreed to do this podcast with me. So, thanks for spending that time with me. And, and I'm and I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't bring up the baseball season. <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> you know we are the world champions. Yeah. We are the world champions. Well, you cheated. Okay. You cheated. We are the world. You cheated, champions. but it's okay. You know, it's okay. We. No, we <laughs> we're the ones that are good. I'm not an Astros fan. <laughs> we beat you fair and square. Oh, uh, that was a good game. We were I think we watched game seven, didn't we? Or yeah, six exactly. or whatever it was. <laughs> All right, brother. All right, my man. Thanks for the call. Hey, absolutely. Stay safe. My regards to the fam. Say hi to the kids and my boy Eddie. I will. All right, brother. Esta. Bye.